everybody. Hello, Pumla. It is very good to see you and it is wonderful to be in conversation. I'm going to take this conversation very seriously. So I'm going to like be a professional, you know, person. Um, and so I have some introductory remarks to make before we kick off into the discussion. Beautiful cover and a beautiful book and, and so much to talk about. Before we begin, I, I thought that to mark the moment and to take seriously what this book is about, um, it would be good to respect, uh, to pay our respects to the dozens of gay men and trans women who have been murdered in the last few months. I think we cannot have a conversation about the female fear factory without acknowledging, as Pumla does so beautifully and starkly in this book, how fear works against anyone who is read as woman, anyone who is seen as transgressing the very stark binaries of gender. Uh, and so I, I thought it would be good to begin simply with a roll call of some of the names. Unfortunately, there are too many for us to list, but some of the names of people in the last few months who have, uh, who have been murdered. Um, so I wanted to start by, by just, just a roll call. So Nontlantla Kunene, Spamandla Koza, Nathaniel Mbele, Kulegani Gomazi, Andile Ntutela, Lonwabo Jack, Lucky Moshabi, uh, Lindo Gulfle Mapu, and many, many others whose names we add to those of Garabo, who, who Pumla writes so beautifully about in this book. Names we add to uh, Uinene, to Anin, to Riva, and to the many, many others who have died in and because of fear. Uh, and so we have this conversation in your honor, and I think most importantly, in, in your defense. So that's just by way of kicking off in, I think, a very heavy uh, and serious way, but I think in a way that marks this, this moment uh, in the way that is most appropriate, because this book is worth celebrating, but it is also a deep and important reflection. So welcome, Pumla. Melinda um, introduced you by your books, but I wanted to insist on introducing you as well, because sometimes when someone is so informal and relaxed as Pumla is, when we see her as our own person, it is easy to forget uh, or to gloss over or to naturalize their brilliance, to behave as though they are simply born smart. And so I won't go over the books because Melinda has already done that, but I did want to to say that Pula is distinguished in ways that don't even make sense. And there, there are things that I read as I prepped that I didn't even know. So I thought I should share, I should share this. So Pumla holds a position of chair on African feminist imaginations at M NMU. She holds a doctor of philosophy, magna cum laude, in post-colonial studies from Ludwig Macmillan's Université, something, something from Germany. She holds two master's degrees, two master's degrees in colonial and post-colonial <laughs> literature. Um, and she's a full professor, full professor in literature with a specific focus on African feminism, African literature, race, class, gender, histories of slavery, et cetera, et cetera. And she's of course the author of six books, winner of the Sunday Times Prize, Alan Patton Prize, and most importantly, one of South Africa's foremost public intellectuals. So please join me everybody in welcoming our own feminist rogue. I'm going to pretend that I can see the audience and that I can feel, I can feel the, the, the claps. So Pumla, 
in feminist fear factory what you do is you build on a section of rape uh you build on and extend this idea that you introduced us to in 2015 and you expand on it so the fear fear factory was used to explain how rape the threat of it the act of it works to make well, women feel constantly afraid and so in this book you do you talk about fear as something that's more foundational fear as something that regulates women's behavior alongside shame, alongside humiliation. And so we have this sense that fear is a system. That's what you're talking about. And so to begin our journey, because it is such a heavy and difficult topic, I, I thought I would ask you, Pumla, to read from the preface of your book, because it's such a lovely introduction, and then we'll take the conversation from there. So it, I started with um, a quotation from the Native American feminist um, novelist, essayist, um, professor of literature, Paula Gunn Allen, who says, stories are a major way we make communal transcendent meaning out of human experience. And then this is me. As I wrote this book, I had to revisit in the clarity of a third class compartment from a short story collection edited by Khadija Sesay and Hilan Habila. I had written it in my twenties, but only published the story the following decade. In the piece, the woman narrator and her partner travel in a third class carriage through Cape Town's Southern suburbs. During the journey, he tells her a story about his day, but is oblivious to how distracted she is. Although they sit holding hands and touching shoulders in the physical realm, emotionally, they could not be further apart because the narrator is a woman and her partner is not. And perhaps because the unfolding drama occurs in the mother tongue they do not share. He does not pay attention to the spectacular staging of the female fear factory around them. Fellow occupants of the carriage include workers returning home at the end of the day, uniformed school children, and a group of young men whose entrance is marked by an ostentatious show of masculinity. As the group members loudly announce their arrival, the mood in the carriage shifts. Older men watch them attentively, while younger women move away as inconspicuously as possible, given the space limitations. Other passengers feign indifference, burying their, their heads and their faces in books, looking out the window and willing the group's gaze away from their own bodies. Overestimating their power, the young men misread the scene. They assume that the occupants are primed for an orgy of violent masculinities. It is the kind of society where people look away from eruptions of public violence in the name of minding their own business and staying safe. But this carriage has one too many busy bodies. First, one person challenges this loutish behavior towards the schoolgirls. Then another supports the first. Soon, it is clear that the youth are outnumbered and the travelers are not intimidated by them. The targets of the men's aggressions are relieved and freed by the older people's intervention. For the startled posse, the next station cannot come soon enough for them to alight the train. The narrator and her partner eventually arrive at their destination, just as he reaches the end of his story about whatever exciting things occupied his day and this entire trip across town. As they make their way out of the station, the narrator has a second illuminating experience from which her partner is once again excluded. She does not deliberately exclude him from these encounters and neither one is engineered by her. She is deeply affected and changed by them. 
he has not even noticed them. Having recounted his story, he now turns to her to find out about her day. Her answer is brief and jars with what the reader has just witnessed. She offers a response that suggests that her day was unspectacular. At readings of the story in the 1990s, the audience would gasp or laugh nervously at her response. There was always recognition. Many in the audience had been in the position of the schoolgirls harassed in my story. In most cases, nobody had intervened. Until recently, I had not reread the story in 12 years, but I was grateful for the coincidence of another project requiring that I do so as this book was going to press. Although the Female Fear Factory and the manufacture of Female Fear were coinages from my 2015 book, Rape, a South African Nightmare, the story points to an earlier preoccupation with the ways in which fear and gender intersect in public spaces. In Rape, a South African Nightmare, I sought to understand not only the construction of rape culture, but also the strategies for interrupting the routine terrorization of women. I called this form of disrupting patriarchy the interruption of the, of the female fear factory. The rereading of my short story highlights how the idea had been in formation long before the previous book's inception. When I wrote the short story, I was living in Cape Town and the train was one of the means of transport I sometimes used to travel to different parts of the Southern suburbs, the city center or Musenberg. Trains and taxis had a prominent, had a prominence in the short stories I wrote in my twenties. At that time, short stories were part of what I regularly wrote and would later go on to publish here and there in various edited collections. I was already thinking through the ideas of how to expand a feminist project that would change what it means to be a woman um, out and about in any part of the country and the world. Thank you. Thank you, Pumla. So part of why I wanted you to start with that story, with that short story, and this moment that we recognize, all of us women who have been in that situation, is because so often what you are doing in your writing is you are pointing out the everyday and familiar things that all of us go through, and you're giving us a framework. Is that something that you deliberately set out to do in your writing, is to explain the everyday? Is that part of your kind of theorizing praxis, or is it simply the best way of illustrating stuff? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think many times I am wanting to speak to my reader that I imagine is differently located in, in, in a language that isn't, that isn't too cumbersome in a, in, a, in, a, in a framework that isn't too cumbersome, especially when it's a difficult um, subject, right? So it's possible, of course, to start with the, this is what I think is going on, and then kind of the, the, the elucidation of the concept and the theory and the, but, um, but I, I find often as a reader and as a writer, that it often makes more sense to write in this way that, 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 that surfaces things or that kind of frames experiences that are familiar, that are unspectacular mm. um, from, from everyday life to speak about to, to, as part of building that argument, right? Because mm. I find often um, books that, I, I suppose I, I, I imagine that I'm writing for someone who is the, the similar reader to the kind of reader that I am. And I don't like long 
explanation of the thing, of the theory, and then giving me some silly little example after the fact. Um, I, I, I do deliberately try to write from, from to, 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 to build, to use commonplace, um, unspectacular um, experiences as a way of showing something that I think is quite pervasive. Because I think that if you don't do that, we stand the chance, I think one of the big dangers, one of the big, one of the big dangers, one of the things that worries me endlessly is, is how much we love the, 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 the exceptional. And so I think that if you That's use right. an exceptional example, you're feeding into this narrative that this is an exceptional thing. But when you're talking about, when I'm trying to talk about a form of violence or a form of, um, a form of control that is everywhere, that is systemic, that is, that is repeated over and over and over again, I think it's important to use these really seemingly mundane um, instances, not the ones where everybody collect collectively gasps at, but the ones that people say, oh my God, that happened to me every day. Oh, I've seen that. Oh, is that what that means? Is that what that feels like? That's part of what I'm hoping to do. That's right. And that's why that story is so beautiful because it shows the everyday. But the other reason why I think it is so beautiful, which is so much a part of, of this book, is that that example is also, while it is one of the kind of ordinary ways in which fear controls us, it is also an excellent example of how quickly it can be disrupted, right? So the minute the old people in the carriage, it's like this re tiny revolutionary moment, which, you know, as you say, you say, and I, and I love this, you say, I never just portray patriarchy's brutality at work without gesturing towards its unmaking. So in some ways, this is like a really, really hopeful way of thinking about fear, which can seem um, incredibly overwhelming as a system. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that, I mean, the funny thing is that that story is kind of, um, is, a, is a dramatization and fictionalization of, 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 I mean, you know, with driving, sorry, riding the trains as I did in my, in my, in my late 19, in my late teens and, and early 20s when I was at UCT all the time. I mean, that kind of thing happened often, right? It wasn't necessarily big groups of, 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 of boys or men, but it made you, and I, and, and, and there were many times where um, I, I wished, so it, it, in many ways, kind of like the fantasy I wish were happening every time those scenes were unfolding on the, on the, on the, on the, on the trains. But to come more directly to your, <laughs> to your, to your, to your question, I, um, I, I, I think that it's, um, you know, as people generally, it can all feel very overwhelming and impossible, right? So if you, if you say, well, I'm a feminist and I'm going, I'm going to be part of the movement that ends patriarchy in the world, and then people tell you, oh, no, but it's happening in Saudi Arabia, it's happening in the US, it's in Canada, it's in everywhere, it's all over the world. You can feel like this little person who is up against a force that is, that is impossible, that is like endless, right? That is endless, that has stretched back through all time and stretches back. So, it, so from the reason it's very important for me to always have, to always have an illustration of patriarchy and a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a demonstration 
of or an engagement with how it, 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 it can be unstabilized. And I think those successful moments are really useful because I find them energizing. I mean, I don't think any human being um, feels particularly keen on being constantly told mm. that, that just you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, it's impossible, you can't, you can't, you know, it's, 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 it, 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 it breeds helplessness. So, and hopelessness. And so part of what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to energize. I'm trying to energize myself and I'm trying to energize the people I'm in conversation with um, through the writing. That's what I'm hope. That's the, that's, that's what's happening in my head. That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. I mean, I think we are given all the precarity in the world, given COVID, given the kind of, you know, sometimes this feeling that we are, in the living in the end times existential threat of climate change you know like you name it we've got it right now and and given all that a lot of really smart people who i have a lot of respect for who know who know a lot um, um speak as though they are they know too much to be hopeful yeah so 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 we know uh, that this trajectory is is grim and so we we know better than to be hopeful right um and i was listening to i was listening to stacy abrams you know the the us uh um uh, you know the, the african american woman who helped to you know make sure that you know donald trump didn't win georgia and she like mobilized this massive campaign and someone asked her about hope and she answered it in a really very clever way and she said i'm neither optimistic nor pessimistic but i am determined and i thought about that uh, <laughs> I thought about that a lot as I was reading you, but I also thought that there is a way in which uh, on every single page uh, you are writing into a sense of hope that I haven't seen uh, for a long time. Um, it kind of made me feel good <laughs> and, su and surprisingly so given you know, what we are up against. Um, so that, so just as a, a congratulations for that, because that's a very difficult thing to do for one so jaded as some of us. Oh, wow. Thank you. That's amazing. I'm glad. I mean, I think, I think that's, 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 that's the, look, I, 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 I think that's a fantastic quotation from, from Stacey Adams. I, you know, I would have probably co-signed on it. Um, but I think increasingly I'm realizing that despite my best, cynical self, I am actually a bit of a hope addict. And I think that, um, and it's not because I don't feel despair um, at times, as I think all of us do. Um, it is because I, you know, I think maybe my work and maybe the accident of when I was born and where I was born, I have had so many encounters intellectually and also just biographically with huge shifts in 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 the making in 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 in, in the in, in the world right and so it just i can't look it's it's very difficult for me the way i think to look at all of that to look at to be standing a few years ago um, in front of my students and say, and, and, and giving what I thought were like really kind of boring examples to kind of um, anchor them in, 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 in what was going to be a much more interesting argument and saying, you know, for example, something about the, Berlin, the fall of the Berlin Wall, 
right? And then I realized, what are you talking about? You're talking to people who are under 20. They don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? And then, so there's like, there's like, oh my God, the world, we grew up with the red map, with the USSR and the Cold War and the and didn't matter where you were in the world, these were the big forces. This is how the world was determined, right? Um, and the one did, even like as a, as, a, as a South African, how you were put like, okay, so this was gonna, this one was going to support you because of how you were located in relation to the other one and, you know, and so on, the big, and I thought that was the world and that is so not the world, right? Now, it doesn't matter whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think about the fact that, I mean, I'm a child who lived, I mean, I was 21. When, when, when in 1994, right? In April in 1994, when I voted for the first time, when we all voted for the first time in a democracy. So, and I know, you know, I, I, it's a different, it's a similar, but it's a very different country as well. So I, yeah. I also know, I know what it's like for the world to like yeah. change its language change. so radically. I also yeah. know how to, how to not go anywhere. Like me staying in the same place and the world change, like the world still changes without me having moved to a different country. Or even something silly like those of us in our 40s and older, right? Who when, when especially those of us who have parents or little people, and you talk about, like, when you talk, when you think about, remember landlines? And then yes. remember trying to they set no up idea. the thing with the landline, planning with your friends about going to the movies when you only had landlines. And then you could, then you call the person's not there. And then you get late. You can't tell them you're running late. You don't know whether to eat. <laughs> And but a young person, I would be like, why didn't you just text them, right? You couldn't go on social media, you couldn't DM them, you couldn't text them, you couldn't, da -da, you couldn't. <laughs> so for me, I just think, well, the world changes so Too dramatically. Too much. Why can't some of that? Yeah. So why yeah. can't some of that change? I mean, so so I I I really think that we can and patriarchy and rape culture and all of these things. Cause I'm just like, well, it's in, it, the world is constantly being refashioned. It's not mm. actually this overwhelming consistent um, mm. thing. Mm. And yes, of course you still have racism and patriarchy and capitalism and so on, but they, there's, a, there's still a big change in the world. So I think so, that's why I'm so hopeful. So, so from, so, so one of the things you are doing in this book, of course, is to make visible what is invisible, right? So the, the reason you are interested in fear is because it, uh, you know, operates as a system that keeps us regulated, that does all these, you know, that does all these things. And you illustrate this in a number of ways. And some of the ways you illustrated it had never struck me before. And one of the ones that I found, you know, really disturbing, but also fascinating and important uh, to move from hope to despair was the, um, was, you know, that story about that, the horrible murder of Garabo, who, um, who is, and, and you talked, you talk about that in relation to the case of a woman in El Salvador. And you make the point that in both cases, so these women are, you know, murdered by men that they ostensibly love. It's it's femicide. It's intimate in, intimate partner violence, the thing that we all know so so well. But both perpetrators are incredibly stupid. Like really, some guys. <laughs> these guys were always going to get caught. You know, they have no plan. They are like, you know, the the ridiculousness of their 
of the way in which they carry out their crimes, I, I thought was so important to point out. And it's not that they were just dumb, but that they're, they're, um, the way they carry out their crimes is a sign of their brazenness. Mm-hmm. And they are brazen because they are allowed to, they're enabled. And there was this point that you made, and it's gruesome, but I think important, is when you talk about um, Sandila's disposal of Garabo's body, the way he sets her alight, and he drives around Joburg vast distances with her body in the boot. Um, and it never for one second seems to fear being stopped the way that we are, goes into the middle of a field uh, alone, you know, that the, the, the notion that you can, you are so free from fear as a man that you can carry out really dumb, horrible, of course, but also very dumb crimes was something that I think was really striking um, for what it says, both about fear, and here I am coming to a question, but also about uh, it made me wonder, what would you say about what it means for men? So what does the female fear factory, what are its implications? You know, we know a toxic masculinity is bad for men too, right? We, we understand how all the ways in the world. I wonder what that means for fear. Yeah. So, sorry, I'm listening to you. The only reason I was paging is because I was I'd forgotten um, Carla's husband's name. So I remembered Sandile. The, the, yeah, the, it was the, Mario, the, no? It was Mario Huezo. So I just wanted to like say both names in case they come yeah. up. So that's what, yeah. I, was, what I was listening. <coughs> Excuse me. So, you know, when we say, when we, I, I, it, it, two things struck me. As a byproduct, really, I'm not even going to claim that I knew this. I had no idea. I thought I was doing something simple. That mm. chapter in Rape of African Nightmare called Female Fear Factory, it was mm. a tiny little thing. I wasn't interested. I mean, I was like interested, but it was just a chapter. My, I, had, I thought I was doing something much more interesting somewhere else. But as people wanted me to talk about fear more and more and more and more, two things were very clear to me. I was talking to a lot of women of different generations who, in, who knew exactly what I was, who were like, oh, this is what this thing you know what, actually it is like a factory and, and it resonated in a deep sense. They had it's made. It. They it's made. Yeah. Yes, it's made and they understood, oh my God, if it's like a factory, then we can, un- you know, whatever. And then I was talking to, uh, to, to I was talking to um, mixed groups, right? So I was talking about like, I was talking to kind of young women. I was talking to um, trans people. I was talking to um, gay, young gay men. And they had, you know, in, in homophobic societies, and they kind of had a sense of, I mean, they understood this thing that I was talking about to, to, to kind of live with the fear of being harmed because of who you are um, around or, or, or who you are not or mm. like for, for being yourself um, yeah. and for not being something else and for it being possible. And this idea of fear was very clear. And then I was talking to... Um, Sometimes I was talking to men who are heterosexual, um, men who present as men, who are read as men, who are read as, you know, um, and, 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 and I was, and, and, and I mean, I, I don't talk to, a, I don't talk to a groups of men. A lot much, of those types of guys. 
But also, like, I just don't, like, guys don't invite me to give talks. Like, it's usually like, <laughs> I also have that problem. I also seem to have that problem. (laughs) But the men I was talking to were mostly really kind of sensitive, concerned men, right? Progressive men, um, proto-feminist men, feminist men, men who, you know, so who themselves are, have a very kind of complex um, Mm. relationship with with kind of patriarchy and, 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 and fear. But I was realizing that the absolute fear, even though they listen to women say, we are afraid, we are afraid, we're afraid, that they weren't getting it, Mm. that it still wasn't clear. And I just couldn't understand how we can all be on the same planet, especially those men who hear at that frequency, right? Um, So it struck me that even they couldn't hear Mm. really the the extent of it and how pervasive and how pervasive it is. Mm. And then it got me thinking about, about, well, I mean, what is, what is, what is not only, okay, well, you know, what is in view based on who you are, but I also thought about, okay, but, but what, as I was writing that chapter, it struck me that women would not, I mean, women kill, Mm. but women would not have killed in this way. No, it's, it's the impunity. There's no way they would have taken they wouldn't have taken any of these things for granted. I mean, Mario Huezo drives up and down, throws things out the window on freeways that have cameras. Captured by CCTV Yes, but nobody stops him. Now, right. women may not necessarily be stopped all the time, but because we live under surveillance, because we are constantly made uncomfortable in public spaces, um, you know, in a, in, a, in, a ra- in a range of ways, um, you know, I, there's no way a woman would be driving up and down with a, the average, the average woman killer. The average yeah. woman killer would not, whatever the average woman killer is, but she certainly would not be driving up and down in her car with a corpse. She um, wouldn't with feel free in the world. That nobody would stop her. She wouldn't feel free in the world in and that way. And then I thought, Exactly. And I thought this is the irony is that these are not the smartest men and you don't have to be the smartest men. These are not the most special men. Sandile and, 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 and Mario are not very smart. They're not yeah. very creative. They're very yeah. disorganized, but they yeah. get away with it. Mm. They get away with it as in they're not interrupted because yeah. they have the confidence that, yeah. it, that, 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 that comes with being a person who's read as 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 a, as a man as a man in 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 the in, in the world and a man who drives right a man who mm. drives because of course we know mm. that poor men can be policed and stopped and whatever whatever but a man who drives on a general road in the world and it's not just right. about the driving it's also about um that absolute confidence that it is that that you can move through the world um yes. whereas i think women are it's unthinkable just minding your own business without a dead body, without anything to hide, just walking, taking a walk around your neighborhood or running alone, in your, you know. In let, a, let alone dragging a body into a field, right? So also the, without the protection of a car to be in an open field, just walking around, you know, it, it just, it just wouldn't happen. Um so yeah, I, I I found that such an exactly insight. exactly. So not only are they 
oh my god exactly you've just hit something else that i hadn't even thought oh wow um because it's not it's not just they're moving across great spaces but also where they are women would be even their place where they get down would be sources would be sites of fear so it's not just the large public spaces but even the little felt and the little forest and the little places with themselves women you'd be like is this clever to dump someone here is someone else here so it just wouldn't wouldn't do it it's it's not it's highly unlikely so one of the the things that you talk about and you and you kind of sprinkle it throughout um uh the book is this notion of the difference between uh courage and fearlessness i'm i'm paraphrasing but you say you don't have to be fearless to be courageous so please say more about this because I do think the question of bravery and courage and fear is so important in feminist conversations because so many of us feel the need to be fearless. We feel the need to model, whether it's on a podium, the kind of ease and comfort with which we you know, you'll hold ourselves, or whether it's on the street, the stories that we tell are always the stories in which we win and in which we are fearless. Um, so talk to me about what is the difference between courage and how can you be be fearful and also have courage? Um, you have to be a little fearful to have courage. I mean, I think that um, I think that the reason it 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 seems a bit strange to think about um, fearlessness and 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 and, and, um, and courage as as not occupying the same space is because we're conditioned to think about fearless people as heroic. And we've conditioned, we've been taught so well across society to think about heroism specifically as something that's related to heroic masculinity, right? And this idea of, of so, so even when we're thinking about women who are courageous, we want to think about them as heroic because we use those words uh, inter- inter- interchangeably. Um, so I wanted, um, I'm, I, and when I look at, when, when, you know, when we, we are unafraid, then we will never change anything. And mm. I'm not convinced that heroism, that even heroic masculinity is, is, is that, that the people that we, on whose body we place heroic masculinity are necessarily not feeling fear. I think they're feeling fear because they're human, because when there's something frightening and big and um, threatening in your midst, you will be afraid. Yeah. 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 But they are able to act in their own interest, something for the better, despite the fear. So the fear is not something that paralyzes, paralyzes them. That is courage. And mm-hmm. I think that, um, so I'm, I, it's very clear to me that the that fearlessness, I understand why it's seductive, right? Mm. It's seductive because that's how we socialize to think about people who change the world, right? But I think it's a it's a dangerous construct. Um, yeah. and like you know, and and, and it's and it's a it's a myth. It's a myth, it's part of the mythology of uh, and, and it's part of the mythology of telling a story, it's part of the mythology of war, it's part of the mythology of nationalism. It's it's big, bold, and dramatic. And it's inconvenient when you're telling a story to be saying, whoo, and then the big hero was taking over and 
vanquishing the baddies, but he was a little bit afraid. It's mm. like, no, that's not an interesting, like that story no, in real life, it might be story. interesting, but when you're watching a big superhero movie, you don't want to see, yeah. I don't know, Wonder Woman or whoever going, okay, okay, I'm going to do it. <laughs> no, I mean, ugh, can you imagine? It's so inconvenient. <laughs> no, I don't think all men are the same. I just said, I talked about different kinds of men. Somebody just asked me if I think all men are the same. I think okay. all men are raised, socialized as men in the world, but no, I don't no, think all men are the same. I'll do the questions. You don't worry about the questions. Okay. And someone's just said, this conversation on heroism and fear is so deep. I have become deliberate in teaching my girls that living and living well is a victory as well, which is such a beautiful way of thinking about it. So I wanted to talk to you. I wanted to ask you a question about xenophobia, because again, it's one of those where like you just, where you again came up with something that I had never thought about and made all these connections that I hadn't made before. So in, in the xenophobia section, you know, you talk about Olis was um, this idea of, of xenophobia and how we always, in all, every time there have been these outbreaks of, of xenophobia in South Africa, we talk about it as though um, these are spectacular, we focus on the spectacular right? So these horrible images and scenes of people burning and so on. And invariably, those are spectacular acts of violence against men for all these reasons that, that we understand. But of course, there is this other thing that goes unexplored, which is what xenophobia looks like against women from the rest of our continent who live in South Africa. And it is often deeply intimate. And not only is it deeply intimate, it's that your neighbor's turn on you, that kind of sense of how um, fear is braided in at the very local level in your home and in your street. How do people know where you are from, right? If you are from Zimbabwe and you speak in Debele, how would people know that you are from elsewhere other than if it was your neighbors turning against you? And I found that, again, that discussion really important and powerful because it talks about the kind of women who live in South Africa who we rarely actually want to talk about. Um, yeah, and it reminded me of some work that I was very interested in doing a few years ago around, remember in KZN for a while in the 90s, there was this thing of pantsing, of taking pants off women. If you were wearing trousers on the street and then they would you know, they would take your trousers off you and they would strip you, you know, like all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I did a bit of research and what it became clear was that the mob that took your trousers off always knew who you were, that these were not acts of men out there, some random mob. There was a neighborly, neighborliness. So talk to us a little bit about this idea about how fear plays in these very intimate spaces. So, I mean, what is striking to me, every time there's a flare-up of, of, of xenophobic violence in South Africa and, and we see some, some of its spectacular um, faces, is that I'm sitting here as someone who, who is immersed in kind of feminist thinking and feminist writing, and I'm thinking, there's such a big disjuncture between how we're talking about it. So I'm, I'm watching footage, I'm reading analysis, the bulk of which 
is, is there's an element of surprise. There's an element of shock. Um, mm. And it's mm. these kind of, it's, and there's an element of mystery and unpredictability. And I'm sitting here thinking, but how long have feminists been telling you about how intimacy is, a, is, is it's, it's like patriarchy insists that intimacy is this beautiful source of safety. But feminists have been saying from the very beginning that it's the people that are your intimates. <laughs> so, 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 so the people most likely to violate you are your intimates. And we see this consistently. And so in many ways, the violence we see played out during um, huge out physical outbreaks and violent outbreaks of, of, of xenophobia um, against, against black and brown bodies in, 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 in South Africa is, is often incredibly similar to how we see violence, to, 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 to how we usually see violence um, inflicted against women and, 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 and queers of all gender in, uh, genders in South, in, in South Africa. I mean, it's the same thing. The people who in, in, in many of the most famous cases of homophobic violence in our country, where the perpetrators are found, it is usually people who knew um, the, 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 the violated, the, 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 the murdered, the slain, the raped, the, whoever the person is. It's not strangers, right? And yet, mm. of course, the endurance of this kind of fear of the stranger um, in many ways is re, constantly re-inscribed into this idea of how, of, of, of how xenophobia works. That's the first thing. The second thing, of course, is that other sense of being constantly part of how intimacy, intimacy is not, and I'm also guilty of thinking this until recently, intimacy is not a level playing field. It does not require an, it's not, it's not a, it's not a beautiful connection between equals, right? It's not, um, because we often speak as though intimacy is, 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 is this beautiful thing. Yes, yeah, sometimes it's this beautiful thing, but that the people are socially located in their society and in this relationship in the same, in the same, in the same kinds of ways. And we don't yeah. think often enough outside of kind of specifically feminist um, thinking um, about how intimacy is actually a minefield of, 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 of things, right? Whether, whether we're talking child, parent, we're talking citizen, non-citizen, we're talking, you know, whatever we're talking. And of course the person, the, 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 and so, Yes, there is that sense in which in which it makes perfect sense to me mm. that the people who are attacking people, the people who are taking clothes off um, these mm. young women, the people who are most likely to rape and so on, um, the people who are most likely to kill you are the people who live with you, right? With um, you. I also understand, though, why there's so much resistance to this idea, because it would make us... Well, us. All completed. It, it, it would make us all paranoid, except women live this way anyway. All so I don't time. know who the us is that would be made paranoid. Women are still mm. able to create enormous beauty and love and play and joy and still live with this constant awareness that the person most likely to kill you, rape you, drag you, burn your house, whatever, is, is not a stranger. So, mm. I, I, so I, mm. I just wanted to bring that into, into yeah. films. 
um, sorry, into, into a xenophobia, because I think often we talk about, when we talk about, when we talk about xenophobia, um, we talk about, oh my God, the rape that will happen because people have yeah. been displaced. Um, yeah. Oh, violence that will happen because of that. Whereas I was trying to show that actually it's the, very, it's the, same, it's the same logic. But same also, logic. of course, that the masculinity, the masculinities that the, that the young, marginal, violent men are enacting are the kind of masculinities that we mm -hmm. celebrate in South Africa. So that actually, because that's the other thing, we always say, what are strange things? Don't these people know how hospitable other Africans were to us? This is not the kind of people we are. We have Ubuntu and da 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 da. But actually, those men are acting exactly the same way that corporate backed, mass, corporate South Africa, corporate masculinities, powerful masculinities have the same kind of relationship to the continent. And so those people who don't have the resources, the, 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 the symbolic power, the material power, the institutional power, only have their bodies. And they do with their bodies what those men with big power, those people in, like, institutionally um, empowered do. So actually there's something very, very, very South African and very, very, very mundane about how gender-based violence plays about how xenophobic violence plays itself out in, in, in South Africa, despite our insistence that it's like this weird, strange things. It's about poverty. It's mm. well, yeah, it's about poverty, but it's not just about poverty. I, I think that last point that you made is so important. This notion of how the posture, the pose, the swagger and stance of power um, is always, uh, is always the same, no matter where it is in, acting itself. So, so that MTN and Vodacom, um, and most importantly, pick and pay, and how they how they mm -hmm. operate on the rest of the continent in this manner, right? This fa phallic, um, exploitative, and always creating fear kind of manner becomes the way um, that that all men, even in individual spaces operate, yeah? All men in, in quotations, right? That is mm -hmm. such an important observation. Um, and it's precisely the kind of observation that is what makes the female fear factory so powerful because theoretically then you see that it gives you an explanatory model for what is happening all the time, you know, which is what, of course, which is what theory is about. So it, it works at so many levels, it's really, it's really very smart. Um, Pumla, the, 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 I had a question about, um, about um, if, we, if, we, if we understand that uh, fear is always being manufactured, that it is being made, and because it is not natural, right? Because if we understand that it is being made, it can be disrupted. But one of the difficult things, of course, uh, about how we, uh, grapple with it is that there is also an ex a sense in which it is manufactured within us. So we can be, in fact, mo more fearful than we ought to be, given what we know statistically about the likelihood of, you know, things happening in particular places. And you have this very powerful example where you talk about this fear. Am I giving too much away? No, I'll, let's talk about it. About the bed, right? About, about this woman in her flat who gets, who this guy comes into the house and you are like, I know the odds are against that happening. I know it's intimacy, et cetera. 
So I'm gonna ask you two questions. So I'm gonna ask this one question about the extent to which uh, fear is manufactured in our own minds and how that intersects with this bigger question about how it's always being made. Um, and then the second one I'll ask is coming up on the, on, the, uh, on the screen, which is about the role that media plays in the fear factory, because I think it's such an important one. Um, and women say they will not report GBV because radio and TV are showing us that now men will kill you. How are the media perpetuating unintended narratives of fear? So take, take both questions and maybe take the, the person's question, take Ricky's question first. Hi, Ricky. So here's, so, so, so th thank you, Ricky. Um, I am a little conflicted by this one, about this one, to be honest. So a few years ago, maybe not so few years ago, many years ago, I was very irritated with the media because I didn't think that there was enough sustained coverage of how much violence and policing um, takes up in women's lives. I felt that, you know, it was a very, it was, it was we, were, we, we, we were living in a country, for example, our country, but elsewhere in the world, but I'll, I'll, I'll use South Africa as an example, um, where women are the majority, but the media speaks as though the, like, the, the, as though women are like a, a fringe minority. So we were not writing from, and then of course we saw a significant shift, I think, to where you can't get away from reporting on gender-based, on gender-based, on gender-based um, um, violence. So I, I don't know if the media is creating um, or implicated in, in this, in this, in this, in, 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 the, in the creation of fear in a direct way. Certainly, they play a part. I think by mere reporting, and I think I think this is what you're getting at, um, Riki. I think what what the role that media plays really is in how um, it is, it is, it's in the particular ways in which um, gender-based violence is, 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 is presented or, 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 or patriarchy is presented and played out and covered in, 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 in the media. So for example, we're sitting now on the 1st of July and I can bet you, everybody who's here today, I can bet you and I can bet myself that in a few weeks, all of everything is going to be about, okay, so it'll be August in a few weeks. Now, three things are gonna happen in a few weeks. First of all, all of us are gonna be exhausted because everywhere you look, there's gonna be a woman and this woman and dams, woman and lights, woman and mud, woman and, and, and butterflies, woman and earrings, woman and, and anything, right? Woman and everything, woman and everything, woman's mud, woman, 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 on the one hand. On the other hand, those of us who watch TV, every drama, every soapy is going to have a spectacular staging of violence. You're not going to see um, um, people doing wonderful, um, playful, exciting, bring things. We're going to see lots of sexual harassment. We're going to be bludgeoned yeah, um, in this month. So it's yeah. interesting because on the one hand, it's like, we're celebrating, we're celebrating, we're celebrating, yeah. we're celebrating. Yeah. On the other hand, it's, it's, it's literally, I mean, every single August this happens. Absolutely. Um, I've been watching it now for, for over a decade. Every single August, fictional ones or the drama ones, 
are so all of the ones that interview people and have talking heads and have the documentary and the journalism are like celebratory showing us things women filmmakers everywhere women artists profiling women's work and all of the fictional ones all the play all the all the all the all the kind of tv dramas and soapies suddenly it's it's a nightmare to watch them because every single kind of spectacular violence it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a so it's like there there's definitely a sense in which i don't know who tells these people that this is what women want to watch in 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 in, in august um but it is very very perverse um mm. and it is particularly perverse because it's 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 very so it's definitely part 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 of the factory the other thing of course that we know about the media's implication we know from the work of a variety of, of, of women of women scholars, especially in media studies, right? So we know from um, people like Nechama Brody that actually the face, the real, if, she, if you go into the archives and you look at all of the cases of femicide that we can find in South Africa, they don't look like, if you try to draw a profile from the media, that profile is nothing like what the profile um, is of, 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 of who is likely, how they're likely, when it happens, who the victim is, and so, and, and, and so on. And so, yes, there again, you have to then ask questions about what's going on, or you look at people like Skwanzilenzov's um, 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 research, which is about who is, who is given authority and who is given space to make sense of gender-based violence in news, in news coverage. And she finds mm increasingly, and she did this for her honors and she did it for her masters, um, just, and she continues to do this research. And she, and she finds, she's found more often than not, like year on year on year, that um, the, 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 the work that you're seeing, people who are shifting legislation, who are shifting public discourse, um, is doing barely features into, in, 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 in kind of, in, 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 in coverage, but in fact, in, in most cases of gender-based violence or any kind of patriarchal co violent, uh, covered, co uh, coverage, um, that the, the voice of authority is very seldom women. Mm. Whether mm. they're women or thought, women who research or women who experience it, but that the, the, the voice of authority. So, so yes, then I guess um, Ricky's gonna say, you started out saying you're ambivalent, but it seems to me what you're saying. <laughs> Not so ambivalent. Um, so yes, I do think that but I'm conflicted about how so mm. in some of those, so the, those are some of the things um, I think are at play. And see in those, in three of those four examples, how, how the, 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 there's definite, um, def, there's in three of those four examples, how there's definite um, manufacture of, 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 mm -hmm. of, of, of fear mm -hmm. um, in, the, in, the, in the TV things quite aggressively um, as, as, as well. Mm. Um, and it's almost that. as though it's to say, well, we're celebrating August. How dare you think you should be celebrated? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I do think that how sorry that our fiction tells us things about how we imagine women, right? What we what we both imagine is possible to do to women, and what we imagine them to be, and that is all, all, often as sites of. Uh, of hurt and damage and wounding. And that's why this idea of being able to imagine uh, to write a sto short story in which the ordinary is indeed ordinary, in which fear is not written into the, um, the mundane ordinary is such a powerful, subtle thing. 
Um, Jessica is asking about, you know, there are these programs on intimate partner violence. Hi, Jessica. And, um, and they show that we can shift gender norms. Um, uh, and so it says it suggests that violence is not inevitable, but that we can change it with the hope that prevention is possible. I am wondering how you see this fear transforming and importantly, what replaces it? So when fear goes, what replaces it? Such a beautiful question. Thank you, Jessica. Hi, Jessica. Um, I think that I don't know what replace. I mean, I guess was what replaces it is the. I would have a year ago. I would have said something around safety. However, I now think that what replaces it is. Um, so I've been reading the work of um, an Indian feminist whose work is intersects with mine in in. Um, in, in, in very in fascinating ways, Shilpa Padke. And, oh, um, and, and she writes this thing. Yes, she writes this, she writes, she, she, her current work is about how as feminists, we need to stop thinking about what we really want for women um, as safety, right? And, 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 she, and she, and so Jessica, I think I would have said safety. I would have said something approximating safety. Um, maybe um, 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 a year or so ago, but now I think what replaces it is 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 is, is possibility. Is there is there is there is the possibility of 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 taking risk, right? So I don't. I mean, I think there's a sense in which fear it's a general, boring, mundane human emotion, right? So when you take it away from from from, from this particular structured way that we're talking about as a political. So there's fear as a political, as a political force, as a political project. And that's the fear, of course, that we're talking about un, 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 undoing. Um, and I think we replace, so we can keep the other fear that's about don't put your hand on a hot stove. Um, yeah. and, and maybe don't be mean to people because they might be mean back to you. Um, but the fear that's a political project, that's the female fear factory, that's the terrorization of marginal people, that kind of thing. I think we replace it with the, we replace it with, with, with possibility. I don't know exactly what that would look like. Actually, women should be able to have the, 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 not the right, the chance to take, to take risk. So I'm going to say, as I try to think about what we replace it with, um, which is not safety because safety is itself a trap, that I, we replace it with, with, with we replace it with, with possibility, we replace it with, with the possibility of, of, of taking different kinds um, of risk, because we know risk is not always something that's tied to violence, so that, that, that you know, risk is also tied to, 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 to invention, to creativity. So, um, and, and, and we're not able to take those initiative, imagination. Yes, so I'm talking about risk in that sense, as initiative, as, as imagination, and not um, only be so kind of um, moored to, to, to to sources of safety, which which are in any event um, elusive. That's a very unsatisfactory answer, even no, for me, not. Jessica. I'm still working no, through it. No, it's not. I think Hopefully it's actually with you really... in conversation. Also. No, no, no. I think it's I think it's actually a really important answer to think about what replaces um, what replaces fear as being possibility because it's um it's so open ended. I, I, before you said possibility, I was thinking imagination, right? So there's this beautiful 
you know, right at the beginning of the book, you talk about the student of yours and she talked, you know, she is the one who illustrates the female fear factory, right? She talks about her day and all of the fear that she faces in every single step, right? And you say in there, like, imagine how much of her mental energy would be freed up if she wasn't fearful, right? Um, so it's not just that it's exhausting, but that it actually takes away and distracts from intellectual time, from all this other stuff that could, could be happening. So I think possibility is a beautiful answer. Um, Esther is asking a series of like interconnected questions which are about intimacy. But the thing that I wanna pick up in the question she asked, and I'm even afraid to ask it because we've got five minutes and we've been warned. Um, and it's a tough one, but is about this idea of white masculinity and about what that means in terms of its effects on black men. Like, how do we think about, um, let me, let me, let me read it as she's written it. So she's talking about the trauma of apartheid where masculinity in black men was shriveled to feed the cancer of toxic white masculinity. So essentially it's like, what do we do about traumatized um, people gendered as men? I think that we- <laughs> In two minutes. I think we need, I mean, we're a city. We're, we're, a, city. It, it, we're a country with so many levels of, 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 of trauma. I don't think that the answer for what we do with traumatized men is different from how we need to have a fundamentally different approach to how we think about trauma in the society generally, right? Because men are not the only ones who are traumatized by white men or by, or by anybody, but we are a society that doesn't attend to trauma. We are a society that pretends that there is no trauma. Society that has multi-generational forms of violence, a deeply, deeply, deeply traumatized society. Um, in many ways, South Africa as a project is founded on, 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 on violence, but we don't tend to it. So I think, I don't know what the answer is, Esther, but I suspect that the answer lies, um, the answer for people gendered as men is not radically different from how we need to be attending to, 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 to trauma-induced by years of white supremacist capitalist patriarchy um, you know, across, across, across the board. We pay attention to that trauma, which we don't in South Africa because we're amnesiacs. If we had had the time, I would have asked you to do another reading. One of my favorite sections of this book is the diary at the end. And I told you this already, but I, I, I thought about it as an... Uh, you, you kind of outline the contours of your movement. This is the nice thing about being in our 40s, in our late 40s, is that there's, there's a lot to look back on, right? Um, and that the longer there is to look back on, <laughs> the longer there is uh, to look back on, the more sense it makes, the more sense certain decisions and, and modes of of, of thinking that you had for these periods. You're like, oh, that's why I was into this. And this is how it connects to where I am now, right? And so you, you in some ways that, that section um, reads like a memoir of, um, of how you have navigated fear. Uh, but also it reads as a memoir of how you have um, moved through fear and into freedom, right? So like every day is both this thing about fear and this thing about freedom every single day, right? And I think that is so much a part of how 
uh, we move through the world, right? And I thought it was so beautiful. And so I want to end, uh, Pumla, I want to thank you, but I also want to end with this, just this one line, which struck me as like the most powerful line I have read in a long time. And the most powerful line in your very, very important book, which will win all the prizes uh, uh, because it, it should. Um, but you say, you write, and I am fighting when I insist on going where I want. And I think that is such a powerful thing to assert, right? that going where we want is a form of resistance. So, so beautiful. Absolutely. So thank you, Prof. And thank you so much. It's been so wonderful having this conversation with you. I mean, you're making me think as you always do about, about my own work in such, in such interesting and exciting ways. And, and I mean, you taught me a few things today. I, I signaled them. Um, even though you claim that they were linked to something that I wrote in this book. So thank you, Sasanka. You always do this for me. I love your mind. And I'm so grateful that in your very busy schedule, um, which I'm not going to talk about, you made the time to read this book, to read it so carefully and to, and to have this wonderful conversation with me. Yes, and hopefully not when there's a storm. Oh, my God, wouldn't it be wonderful if we were in the same place and we could just... <laughs> here's, to, here's to getting jabbed and to ending the precarity of COVID and to seeing one another face to face. Please buy the book. Please read the book. Please engage with people. Uh, and please understand uh, that living in fear is no excuse to not have courage. Thank you.